Hello, cassettes, and welcome back to the Black Case Diaries podcast. Hey, everybody. We're three old friends learning everything we can about movies and TV, and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Marcy, and with me is... Robin. And Adam. As always, yay. Hooray, we're still here. (laughs) Still. That'd be a really great way for you to alert the audience that we're not there. I'm Marcy, and with me here is... Yeah, it's just me today. <laughs> I want to do that. Yeah. All right. When when we get to the episode where I just ramble about the like inner theories of Jurassic Park, it'll yes. just be me. That, that's you. I'll do oh, that. Yeah. All you. We are now on week two of June Tunes, and this is a very special episode, guys. Yes, it is. We have covered film concepts and individual movies, but today is going to be our first ever biography episode. Whoa! Yeah! This season, we're introducing biography episodes. Yay. <laughs> a while back, we did some episodes about movie scores. We talked about prominent composers and themes we think that every movie fan should know. But today, we are highlighting one person in particular. And this man has majorly influenced not just film music, but mainstream American culture for the last 45 years. Even if you don't know his name, you might know his music. His themes have made you feel inspired, scared, happy, and sad. And they may have even convinced you to believe in magic. We are talking about John Williams. Hooray. The one and only. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I get that some people may just be that not into scores. And Mm -hmm. they just, like, I watched the movie for the movie. But, like, this name Mm -hmm. is the one that everyone's like, oh, yeah. Music is such an important part of any film. Even films that left it out completely. Yeah, there are movies that don't have any score. Yeah. I know, it's bizarre. Yeah. It sets the tone for every scene and adds an extra layer of emotional storytelling. It's so vital that bad film music or music that doesn't match the scene can pull you out of the story completely. Imagine that scene in Jurassic Park where Ellie Sattler and Alan Grant and Ian Malcolm first see the dinosaurs. It's memorable because of the acting and the visuals, but imagine that moment without the iconic theme. Would we still be talking about it today? I would be so sad. <laughs> I bet you there's there's got to be a copy, like a version without the theme underneath. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you just watch it. It's just kind of like, <gasps> dinosaurs. <laughs> dinosaurs. Oh, great. <laughs> they do move in herds. <laughs> Look at that. Look, watching more of like a documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you just hear the dinosaur sounds. <laughs> sounded, oh, man. Part of me kind of wants to see it, just to see it. <laughs> like, feel that. But I don't want it to exist for more than <laughs> one watch. <laughs> so, today we're discussing the life and work of John Williams and the impact he has made on American pop culture. Yeah. yeah. A big one. So John Williams was born on February 8th of 1932 in New York to Johnny and Esther Williams. His father was a jazz percussionist known for being in the Raymond Scott Quintet on CBS radio. Heck yeah. Which, of course, this led to John growing up around music his whole life. He began young by taking piano lessons, but he also studied clarinet, trumpet and trombone all before the age of 15. 
These lessons would be the building blocks to a life filled with the music. Wow. And by 16, he was experimenting with his own sound compositions and was the leader of his own jazz band. Yeah. Dude. We mention it all the time whenever we find out how young people were when they did really cool stuff. In 1948, he and his family moved to Los Angeles, where John began studies in music composition and classical piano at UCLA. At the young age of 19, he composed his first piece, a piano sonata. By 1952, he was drafted into the Air Force for three years, where he conducted and arranged pieces for their band. Once he returned from the forces, he moved to New York, where he attended Juilliard School of Music. At Juilliard, he was taught by Madame Rosina Levine, to whom New York Times in 1975 said was one of the greatest pianists of that century. Yeah. Oof, how so prestigious. He had some uh, he, he had a good yeah. teacher there. I do say. <laughs> so when he graduated, he moved back to LA to pursue composing in movies and television. He began as a simple studio pianist and has grown from there. You know, they sh- they need to make a movie about him while he's still alive so he can compose it. Oh, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> That would be so great. Oh my gosh. Him scoring his own movie is something I'd never considered. And it's just like, it, yeah. it has to happen. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. It has to happen. We need to email somebody. We, we got to email somebody. <laughs> yeah. His first film credit on IMDb is for the musical film Carousel, where he was an additional orchestrator. His first wife was Barbara Ruick who starred in the film. They were high school acquaintances and married the same year that Carousel released. Oh, that's so cute. cute. Yeah, it is cute. Williams got married in 1956 and had three children with his wife, Barbara. One of his sons became a drummer for the band Air Supply, while his other son became the lead singer of the band Toto. (laughs) Yeah! Dude! (laughs) I know, bless your mind. He's killing it. (laughs) His daughter is a doctor. Uh, she's not even into music at all. <laughs> she just saves lives. What a yeah, failure. She saves lives. <laughs> One of Williams' most poignant pieces of work is a violin concerto he wrote for his wife. She encouraged him to write it, but tragically died before he could finish it. It's absolutely beautiful, and we'll link it so that you guys can hear it too, so that everybody listening can. We're going to have oh, it on the man. blog. You know, and it, it was just, it's a really, really nice piece of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, probably not intending for it to be very sad. Obviously, wasn't expecting yeah. her to die. So, right. Williams remarried Samantha Winslow in 1980, and they are still married today. So, 40 years. Wow. So, we're going to talk a little bit about some of his first projects and some of the things he did as he went into the yeah, industry. Some real early yeah. stuff. Yeah. John Williams caught a break for his career when he worked alongside famed composer Henry Mancini on the TV show Peter Gunn. Mancini is known for writing The Pink Panther, Peter Gunn, Moon River, and he even did the soundtrack for The Great Mouse Detective. So, hey. yeah, yeah, Mancini is very, very good. That's somebody that, if you have not heard of, I highly suggest going to Spotify or YouTube. Just, you know. Yeah, just, I mean, just watch The Great Mouse Detective. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. I think you also wrote The Baby Elephant Walk. Later on, the two men would work together on Charade and the Days of Wine and Roses, 
While he grew as a composer, he worked on films like To Kill a Mockingbird and Some Like It Hot. I actually read that he was in the band in Some Like It Hot. Williams became friends with Bernard Herrmann, a music giant in the golden age of film. By age 24, he was orchestrating for Alfred Newman, Dimitri Tomkin, and Franz Waxman. More huge names for the movie, movie music at the time. So, if you guys remember our episodes about movie music and, and movie composing, those are huge people mm-hmm. that were really influential in the golden age of movies, which in the 1940s was still kind of going on. Was, mm-hmm. Williams moved from orchestrating to composing episodes of major TV shows. He composed episodes for Lost in Space, Gilligan's Island, and The Land of Giants. He was able to jump from TV to film for the first time in the late 1960s, but according to IMDb, he was somewhat typecast as a composer for comedy. That's interesting. interesting. What an interesting thing to think, because you know what he did later? Yeah. And, And I think about what he did later, and it's like... I don't think comedies. I'm not That's thinking not his no. thing. I yeah, mean, comedies are not a thing that he does. No. I mean, I'm sure he could. He could probably score a dang good comedy. Oh but, sure, yeah. And I mean, Home Alone's kind of funny. That's true. Mm-hmm. Home Alone is a comedy. I would say, mm-hmm. yeah. In 1969, Williams scored a film called The Reavers, based on a novel by William Faulkner, and starring Steve McQueen. It was this piece that caught the attention of a young filmmaker named Steven Spielberg who asked Williams to help with an upcoming film, The Sugarland Express. Ooh. And that was his first his first feature. Wow. Was The Sugarland Express wow. and he, yes. he knew he knew that it was going to be a good pair. Yes. In 1971, Williams won his first Oscar after adapting the music for Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, nice. Yay. That's a fun one to to win first. Yes. It's like yeah. not o- not only am I good at writing music, but I can like fix it too yeah (laughs) so we're going to talk again a little bit about some of his most influential pieces of music in movies and this is probably going to be the part where we we kind of discuss for a while (laughs) go off some deep ends yeah speaking of deep ends yes (laughs) the first one jaws in the summer of 1975 the world met its first summer blockbuster and the first film to make $100 million at the box office. Wow. I didn't know that, actually. Yeah. Dang. The Jaws theme is one of the most recognizable pieces of music in film history. A notorious example of Le Motif, one of Williams's trademarks as a composer. So Le Motif is the idea that you it's a singular theme for a character, and you weave it into your music to kind of remind the, you know. They do it all the time with the the Imperial March. Yes. Too. Yeah, and uh, and for Jaws, they announce the presence of their villain mm-hmm. with these two notes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know. Amazing. Yeah, it, it just it built up so much, so much dramatic tension that you just. It's like you're going to snap. Yeah, it's, and it works so well with this movie because of how little you see the shark mm-hmm. right you don't see jaws in all of its animatronic glory until <laughs> the end of the movie really but you know that he's there and that it's coming and it's gonna we don't know when or where uh, yes but it's there somewhere right and that's that's a thing you just you hear that music and you're like Oof, they're a goner you know oh yeah screwed especially if they're in the water <laughs> oh, no. currently yeah yeah <laughs> and they don't know and it's this it's this 
beautiful moment of dramatic irony Ugh. because the audience knows that they're in trouble and we don't even see we don't see the knife we don't see the shark mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but we hear the music and that's what what builds that tension mm-hmm. it's it's so it's so Shoot. so special i gotta go back and watch jaws again <laughs> <laughs> This established Williams and Spielberg as a director-composer team, and they would work together often for the next 40 years. Heck yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's actually kind of common for directors to have the composer that they kind of work with the most. Mm -hmm. This is probably the, this is the biggest example, Mm -hmm. but Danny Elfman often works with Tim Burton. Mm Mm-hmm. You oh, know, yeah, yeah. Uh, Pixar, a lot of the Pixar directors like to work with Michael Giacchino. Uh, Thomas Newman usually works with, you know, Andrew Stanton's movies, you know, so it's, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of have this. Mm-hmm. They have yeah. their people. So, you know, John Williams is kind of, people kind of know about him, mm-hmm. the music. Mm-hmm. People know the music. They remember Jaws. Jaws is incredibly memorable. Obviously, so many people went to go see it. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. So then the next movie that came out really cemented his status (laughs) when george lucas described what he wanted for star wars spielberg suggested john williams lucas had put together a list of music as a guide much of it being pieces from the golden age of film something that john williams knew much about since he was good friends with those past composers that's such a good like coincidence yeah here's what i want he's like pa you got it. <laughs> it's like I know exactly. I, I'm already there, man. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. By the late 70s and early 80s, the sweeping orchestral sounds of Bernard Herrmann and Eric Korngold weren't as popular. They were kind of on their way out. You know, we did an episode last year about those kind of 80s dance movies, those oh, yeah. those 70s musicals and uh, th- that's kind of what was popular some some more electric music some disco guitar you know the it was you still kind of had the classic scores in the mm-hmm. 70s but it was a little bit on its way out and so John Williams hops back in the scene here <laughs> because and it's because it's what George Lucas wanted he said this is what I want mm-hmm. you know I, I want this music to alert the audience that this is an epic mm-hmm. you know that they are watching something bigger yeah. than they could have ever imagined and you know the opening note for Star Wars did exactly la- that for the audience. Yeah, wake up. Yeah, <laughs> here's a movie. <laughs> yeah, Williams was able to pull from multiple influences to build the theme for Star Wars that Lucas wanted, and the sound brought audiences back to the golden age of film, making Williams an incredibly sought after and popular composer. People were like, "I like this. Yeah. Why aren't we doing stuff like that anymore?" Yeah, get that synth out of here. <laughs> He drew from Chopin's Funeral March and Holtz's The Planets for Darth Vader's infamous theme. Yes. Yeah, he, he drew from the theme for Mars, Bringer of War, and, mm. you know, and we all know the Funeral March. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Everyone's going to die today. Right, exactly. It's, he took kind of the, the foreboding nature of that theme and he kind of removed the somber bits yeah. and put in the more menacing sounds and made it more, this is a villain yeah. coming through, everybody pay attention. It became the best-selling score-only soundtrack of all time, which prompted other composers to imitate Williams's work, influencing music in a major way. A bunch of copycats. 
whatever. Other director said, <laughs> I want that. That's what I want. Yeah. But that's that's kind of, I'm not surprised mm-hmm. that it sold so well because, dang. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. My dad yeah. was yeah. not, he did not like the movies that much. You know, he wasn't into popular culture very much, but he loved classical music. He was listening to the radio and they said, you know, here's here's a new theme from a movie coming out soon called Star Wars by John Williams. And they played it and he just kind of went right to the record store yeah. like, and, and bought it. Yeah. He yeah. said, oh, I've got to have that. That yeah. was, yep. that's really good. It's amazing. <laughs> I, you know, and I, I just think that's so crazy. I that's just, amazing. I wish that I could have heard it for the first time on the radio and be like, yeah. what the heck is this? Yeah. <laughs> the next one on our list here. Superman. Yeah. But after his sweeping success with such great hits as Jaws and Star Wars, John Williams continued his success by composing the 1978 Superman. The first recording session of the film was ruined because the director, Richard Donner, was so excited for how fantastic the theme sounded that he exclaimed, Genius! Fantastic! Oh, that's so, yeah. like, you imagine that's you're so like, sweet. amazing, and you're, oh, shit, I ruined it. Like, Fuck, damn we it. weren't recording, were we? We were? Uh, damn it. <laughs> That'll be another yeah. $75,000. John Williams is like, cool, yeah. I'm, I, I like the feedback. Yeah. Um, but... Maybe you leave the room now yeah. <laughs> while yeah. we finish this. Oh, gosh. What What if they were like, we only we can only record today, that's it, it's in the movie, that's it. <laughs> And just you watch Superman and you hear that, da, 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 and it's like, fantastic. <laughs> it's like, what? what? Who is that? Where did it come from? The Superman theme contains elements of fanfare, which indicates before Superman comes, the march, which marks his arrival, and finally the love theme at the end of the composition. Yeah. So it's this fantastic mix that tells almost its own story in one piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. I love this theme when I hear it and I close my eyes. I imagine the sun rising, you know, Ah, it's kind of just like this brightness Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, something great is coming. Some, you know, the dawn, you know, is here. Everything is going to be okay. And and I I love that. It's just such emotion that. Yeah. And it's perfect for Superman. Yeah. Because that's the idea. He's Mm -hmm. that kind of hero. Yeah. Right. He's not like a Batman where it's like. He's doing what he's doing is good, I right. suppose, but he's like doing it in kind of funky ways. No, Superman is like the symbol of hope, yeah, kind of superhero where he's yeah. you know, he, he all of the other heroes that have the capes and stuff are like basically based on Superman. So yeah. it's so perfect of a of a score for it, the character. So then after that, we want to talk about E. T. The f- music for E. T. Yeah, such a good movie. John Williams inserted his theme for Yoda in E.T. in a scene where a child is dressed as the popular character. So there's a scene in (laughs) E.T. where they're trick-or-treating, and a child is dressed as Yoda. So then John Williams had to take a theme that he wrote for a previous (laughs) movie and put it into his current theme for the current movie to reference... That movie. That movie from before. That's amazing. (laughs) Do you imagine being that you are, I mean, I feel like at that point you're just like, I'm in charge of popular culture at this point. (laughs) I'm done. I've peaked. (laughs) The world is in my hands. Yeah. The world is my musical oyster. It's hilarious because, you know, scoring both movies, it's just, 
the you know he probably took he may have taken the idea or the movie for Star Wars that you know if Steven Spielberg was yeah. uh, recommending him right and it's like well you know this could be great and you know, who knows how good it's gonna be right you never know yeah. until the movie happens mm-hmm. right and then obviously Star Wars blows up and becomes the biggest thing ever and you're like wow <laughs> it got so big <laughs> that it's now being referenced in another movie that I'm doing yeah. it's like. And I, I like to think that he, you know, he was watching the scene on the projector and he saw Yoda and he went, ooh, this is fun. And he just wrote a little yeah. note. Scribble, scribble. Get, get to, you know, put Yoda's theme in there. I just, I think oh, that he probably yeah. laughed like, this is great. This yeah. is, yeah. I get to insert this little joke, a little reference to my other work. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's really cool. Uh, that is super cool. E.T. was one of the five films that John Williams has won an Oscar for. No doubt, man. Yeah. Williams had trouble timing the music in the final chase scene. So Spielberg shut off the projector and told Williams to write the music the way he wanted. Spielberg then edited the movie around the music, something rarely done. Wow. And it is perfect. Yeah. It is. It's perfect. <laughs> Everything goes together so well. It fits. I mean, it was... So, it, all encompassed became such an iconic moment. Yeah. I just don't think that it would be as special if the music were different. Mm-hmm. And I, I just say it's so cool that yeah. it's, it's just all one thing. It's like you can't separate it anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I imagine like a more modern movie or a more modern score might have done something where they have some kind of buildup of tension as they're getting close mm-hmm. to the police and then the music stops. Like maybe the character closes his eyes real quick or something they take off with no music and then the music comes back in when they then <laughs> come to the realization that they are now flying. And yeah. it's like, I mean, I, I get it, I guess, but mm-hmm. oh man, it just doesn't hit the same. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't land yeah. the same. <laughs> this is why real life is not as fun and cool. I mean, can you imagine having somebody just like, you know, exactly. compose Compose your life. Cool. I mean, if if you could, I John Williams. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, who else? Yeah. <laughs> so the next one here is another big, big boy one. Mm. Hard hitter, Indiana Jones. Oh yes, mentioned it a couple times already. Adventure the music. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's yes. what it is. When speaking of the Indiana Jones theme, Williams said a piece like that is deceptively simple to try to find a few right notes that will make the right leitmotif identification for a character like Indiana Jones. I remember working on that thing for a few days, changing notes, changing this, inverting that, trying to get something that seemed to me to be just right. I can't speak for my colleagues, but for for me, things which appear to be very simple are not at all. They're only simple after the fact. The manufacture of these things, which seems inevitable, is a process that can be laborious and difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's true. Sometimes the most simple things were so difficult to do. <laughs> and it just shows his skill or anyone's skill when you don't notice. You know, that's mm-hmm. the thing. If you do your mm-hmm. job right, people aren't going to notice. Yeah how much work goes into it. it it's kind of the same way nowadays with a lot of cgi it's used in pretty much every movie but if you don't like call that movie out like oh that movie's got too much cgi or all oh, that movie's got bad cgi it's like well 
every other movie still has it, but you don't say anything about those, right? Yeah. Because good CGI goes unnoticed. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. th- that's the whole point. Okay, here's a big one. Mm-hmm. Here's another huge blockbuster that <laughs> yeah. really, I mean, this really did this. This it People don't realize it, but this really changed things. This blockbuster did. We, Home Alone. Yes. Yeah. Before you say, before you get into it, just think about how, how many movies we've talked about already. Mm-hmm. And all of them have been like huge. <laughs> These are all huge movies. Right? It's like, well. He's just the top dog. (laughs) We're not even done. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh. John Williams brings us the sounds of Christmas with Home Alone. While some of the major jingles are scattered in the soundtrack, he was able to create an original sound that evokes what goes on during the holiday, but also the deeper meanings of Christmas. Mm -hmm. I cannot listen to Home Alone without crying. You, You listen to it and you feel like you're listening to Home. Mm-hmm. You're listening to the yeah. holidays and Christmas and just, you know, he was able to take sounds that people hear, you know, at Christmas in the other Christmas music that they're listening to. Mm-hmm. And he put it into this movie. And it reminds me of a story I read online uh, a little while ago where somebody was visiting a friend. They lived in California and had never seen snow before in their life. Mm-hmm. And they were visiting a friend um who moved to like Minnesota or someplace where it snows all the time. Right. And apparently their friend introducing them to snow for the first time played the home alone soundtrack while they went outside and it was snowing and they're like, it's magical. It sounds like snow. It's like, you know, it, even to somebody who had never seen it and never experienced it, it was like the perfect fit and it just made the experience even more memorable. Oh, it's like amazing. Sweet. I wish, I, yeah, like I, I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Next time it snows, I want to go outside and play the music. Yeah. In order to capture this feeling, he used a common instrument associated with Christmas, as Tchaikovsky used it in the Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies for the Nutcracker. The instrument is called the celeste, and it is often associated with the supernatural. Yeah, it because so many people have listened to the Nutcracker at Christmas. Mm-hmm. People hear this instrument and they think Christmas <laughs> because this piece of music, the Sugar Plum Dance, the Sugar Plum Fairy, was the first recorded, written down piece of music to use the celeste. That's super cool. So, yeah, so that is probably why that instrument is so closely related to that piece of music. Mm. The theme that he used the celeste in is somewhere in my memory, and it's layered throughout the movie, and then finally played in full at the end of the movie when you and Kevin have finally discovered the true meaning of Christmas. Oh, how cute. Yeah. (laughs) It's too much, man. It just, I'm like, damn. That's so, because it's like you hear it, and it's like, this is what Christmas sounds like to a child like Mm -hmm. this is what christmas is supposed to be Mm -hmm. (laughs) because really it's just anxiety the holiday for me yeah (laughs) anxiety and less money yeah that i once had the holiday Uh, yeah there's a couple months of anxiety and stuff on top of it too beforehand and Mm -hmm. then the day of yeah it, it would make a great, like, spoof movie poster because a lot of movies are called, like, so-and-so the movie. Mm-hmm. It'd be great. Anxiety the holiday. Yeah. It would be a poster <laughs> of Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> Everything that's Christmas. There's yeah. Santa on there. And... <laughs> Long lines. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, but when I said that Home Alone is, was a big movie, what I mean is that Home Alone was a gigantic success mm-hmm. that knocked other movies out of the box office for like 10 months because it was so popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, they just had to keep showing it. Yes. It's outrageous to yes. think about. And this is a time when John Williams is working with Chris Columbus, who did use him a couple other times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after that, we have one of my absolute favorite Williams scores. A fantastic yeah. one. I, I think, yeah, I think it is. It's definitely in, in my top five, I guess. It made the podium, at least. Yeah. Top three. Yeah. yeah. Is Hook. Yeah. The fight scene at the end of Hook was 20 minutes of inter- uninterrupted music, the longest Williams had ever composed for one scene. When the soundtrack released, they left out portions of this piece and released it years later on a special extended version. I was going to be upset until you said that. Uh, yes. Because I was like, what? You can't get the full thing? <laughs> but they did. Okay. Yes, they released it years later, though. Mm. Yeah. Williams wrote the music and lyrics to the two songs in the film, We Don't Want to Grow Up, and when you're alone, do you guys remember these songs? He's just—he's just so good. He's like, nah, I got I it. Can't, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Lyrics too. Got it. I'm there. I always thought it was interesting because what we don't want to grow up—it's when the kids are putting on the play, the Peter Pan play, and they're mm-hmm. watching it, mm-hmm. and they don't use the song from the actual Peter Pan play. <laughs> right. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yes. Hmm. Um, if growing up means it would be beneath my dignity to climb a tree, I don't want to grow up. Uh, yeah. Wow. And that's from the that's from like the Mary Martin Peter Pan. Oof. And <laughs> pulled that one out. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just thought it was interesting that they wrote an original song for that instead of using the actual Peter mm-hmm. Pan musical that already exists. When you're alone is this really sweet moment where it, it is reminiscent of an American tale where she's kind of singing Mm -hmm. this song because she's sad and she misses her mom yeah and you know how and it's kind of interesting because this is a spielberg movie Mm -hmm. and an american tales also like an am it was also an yeah like he had his worked on it had his hands on it yes yeah yeah, he he worked on it with don bluth Mm -hmm. so you know i thought that was interesting that they did that for this too for Tinkerbell's theme, Williams used the celeste. Ta-da! Yes! Also making it reminiscent of the Sugar Plum Fairy. In this version, in this movie, it actually is for a fairy. Mm-hmm. Played by Julia Roberts. So, <laughs> the scene where, you know, Hook first appears is my favorite theme in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think the movie wasn't as gigantic as Star Wars. And it wasn't, you know, wasn't, didn't make as much of a cultural impact. Mm-hmm. So, it's not as well known as the Imperial March. But, damn, yeah. it's good. But it's dang good because John Williams brings 100% every time. Mm-hmm. And he brought 110% for the next movie. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> My favorite John Williams score, if you didn't guess, is uh, Schindler's List. No, I'm kidding. Jurassic Park. I was going to guess Tintin. <laughs> oh, Tintin, hey. Tintin's not bad. Nope. No, Jurassic Park, of course. Williams began writing the Jurassic Park score at the end of February 1993, and it was conducted a month later. So he had to, like, like, write it dang quick. Yeah, that is quick. The score is described by Williams as a rugged, noisy effort. (laughs) (laughs) A massive job of symphonic cartooning, which is a great word. (laughs) Yes. 
He also said that while trying to match the rhythmic gyrations of dinosaurs, he ended up creating, quote, these kind of funny ballets. Oh, yeah. And when you think about it, specifically something like the raptor theme. Yeah. They're so floaty, dancey, like just quick yeah. moments like you would see in a ballet. Yeah. When when yeah. certain when certain ballet steps happen, like the music follows along that way. Mm-hmm. It's just like that, but like I don't know how to describe it like cuz it's a dinosaur. It's like <laughs> it's a little bit like, "Oh no." It's kind of funny. The idea yeah. that a dinosaur would be dancing ballet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But it fits. It ends up fitting so well. This was the first time that Spielberg was not able to attend the recording session for his movie um, as he was in Poland at the time filming Schindler's List, yeah. which is part of the reason why I made the joke. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, Williams gave him demo tapes with the piano versions of the main themes prior to his travels and he would listen to them on his way to set that's i thought that awesome. was pretty cool i would listen to that every day yeah. i mean yeah. absolutely i'm i'm curious as to how these other themes sound on the piano yeah but that's super cool and i just don't know how somebody not just spielberg for directing these two movies but for john williams to write music for these mm-hmm. at, at at kind of the same time yeah it's mm-hmm. like what the heck, man? Yeah, he and I, we were listening to Jurassic Parker before we recorded, yeah. and it's, I just, it blows my mind because I'm thinking about that main theme, and it's the same. It's almost the same <laughs> at when they first arrive at the park, mm-hmm. and then when they're leaving at the end. Mm-hmm. You, you have, when they leave at the end, they have this theme that's very reminiscent of the first theme when they first get there, and you're hearing the same theme, the same music, but it means something different because of the context of the movie yeah. so in the beginning when you first hear it you hear that music and it sounds like a paradise mm-hmm. you know you hear like you kind of just hear this kind of vocalizing ah, you know in, yeah. in the background and you've got you know you this see the beautiful waterfall grand beautiful yeah and it's like you, yeah. you this, this really and like the music starts because you just kind of hear like the first notes and then it kind of launches into this really warm Mm-hmm. soundtrack you know you feel warm you feel welcomed yeah. and you know like this is where you know I, hey this i'm yes exactly <laughs> yeah. and uh, you're so happy to be there but yeah. there's still kind of a foreboding nature because you know what this movie is you saw trailers you're watching jurassic park this isn't gonna work <laughs> Did you out read the book <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're familiar but but this you know so there's mm-hmm. this juxtaposition because you want to feel warm and welcomed yeah. and happy mm-hmm. but you know that that is probably not what's going to happen <laughs> you want it so bad to work yes yes and at the end of the movie when they're leaving there's just that you hear the music and it's it's almost sad mm-hmm. because you think of what it could have been mm-hmm. what this part could have been and they're yeah. leaving and they're just burnt out and people they know are dead and they're just relieved mm-hmm. to be on the helicopter yeah. and just yeah. on their way out and at and at the same time, just to to say how well it worked with the actual movie, like the shot of the movie that I remember, is the shot of 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 John Hammond in the helicopter. He's just looking kind of mournfully into the amber mm-hmm. at the mosquito on the end of his staff, knowing that his like dream just just blew up in front of him, basically. Yeah. And um, it's yeah, it evokes that. It's the same melody, the same tune, but it just evokes a completely different emotion, and it's amazing how that works. Yeah, with these with these totally different visuals, mm-hmm. and you know that John Williams w- watched all of these visuals while he was 
composing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so he had that thought, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's let's remind everybody of the hope from the beginning of this movie and what. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that he picked up from a, earlier times because there was a time period when he was known as like the disaster movie composer because <laughs> he you know he did like the poseidon adventure and yeah. a bunch of those and there, so there was a time when it, disaster movies were like super popular mm-hmm. and I, I feel like that's a trick that they kind of picked up from that you know yeah yeah it worked out because yeah. yeah it's such a great flip-flop right yeah. it's this wonderful like oh everything's wonderful no yeah dinosaurs I mean, Ugh. I just want to say, if they stuck to herbivores, it might have worked out. You know, <laughs> life finds a way, Marcy. <laughs> so something would have inevitably Something would have happened. Probably. They were too preoccupied with whether or not they could. They didn't I stop to think, think if they should. Okay. But the next one on here, we're going <laughs> to move on. I'm sorry. Jurassic Park is just that good. Mm. The next one on here done right along at the same time schindler's list this is another one of his five oscar winning soundtracks but this one also won a bafta for best film music and a grammy for best score soundtrack in in visual media nice which is freaking awesome and i think it got other nominations as well yeah Mm -hmm. the work is different from his other scores in that, although complementing the action and emotion of the film, it is somehow separate. It does not follow each scene's action in quite as much detail through many themes that each represent a different idea or person. So the leitmotif that you mentioned is a little bit less mm-hmm. in this particular soundtrack, in this particular score. Yeah. It's definitely in there because that's like a... A calling card of right. John Williams, it, right? Yeah, it's a little more, I'd say, kind of disjointed, mm-hmm. you know. And, and it's almost, I would say, it's almost like a memory. Yeah, you know, things aren't as crystal clear and there because mm-hmm. this movie is. I would say it would be a lot harder to do that with this movie, but just the way it's shot and the way you follow the actions of the characters. Mm-hmm. And because there are so many moments where it's just an establishing scene where you're just watching all of, a bunch of different people and a bunch of different actions, and it's very sad. And, you know, there are a lot of really symbolic images in this movie. And, and so, you know, with the music being kind of more symbolic like that, makes sense. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The main theme, simply called Theme from Schindler's List, written specifically for violinist Itzhak Perlman, accompanied by an orchestra, is a haunting yet simple melody. It it expands to incorporate some rhythmic and harmonic idioms of Eastern European Jewish music. And it's, like, amazing how simply weaved in it is because it's such a beautiful piece, but, like, you know... Yeah. still gives those hints of what it's what it's for and it also kind of sort of brings you back to his first oscar for fiddler uh, on the roof that's, that's right yeah, that's you know you have those those themes you know from that's about that's about a jewish, jewish family yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's it's incredible this movie i haven't seen in a heck of a long time but we this is another one we played mm-hmm. shortly before recording and it's just like oh you listen to the music you feel like you've seen it yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's heavy for it sure. is heavy it weighs on you but it should 
Yeah. That's the point. That stuff is supposed to weigh he, on you. He, it's not supposed to make you happy. Mm-hmm. He, yep, he definitely did what he mm-hmm. meant to do. Yep. Yes. So the last set of movies that we're going to talk about here, I know that he's done so many, so many. We could go on so, for. We really could. We like, really could. But literally, we're... even the list as you scroll down goes on. <laughs> goes on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> We're going to just talk briefly about his Harry Potter movie soundtracks. Yes. yes. He did the first three Harry Potter movies and is responsible for that uh, that beautiful, oh, yeah. beautiful theme that everybody remembers from yes. Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Williams scores the first three films of the franchise, laying a foundation for all the music to come. His style is very classic and is always reflected in the music. The first three films live in a much happier, more playful spirit, as opposed to the later movies. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I would say too, yeah. it's it, the his score for the third movie. It is does start to turn mm-hmm. a little bit, and they incorporate. I I remember there's there's a scene where they're singing the lines from Hamlet. In, oh, and yeah. there's a choir. They're like, mm-hmm. bubble, bubble, mm-hmm. toil and trouble. Mm-hmm. I love. Oh my god, <laughs> so cool. Yeah. I mean, that is a cool song, yeah, for sure. And they're just they're just singing they're just singing Shakespeare, <laughs> but the theme music is awesome, yeah. and it it's got a little more of that. You know, we got some minor notes mm-hmm. and kind of you know. yeah. Prisoner of Azkaban is kind of the t- the time where it starts to like really yes. tilt that way. Yeah, it so. was a really big it was a really big jumping point for the films in general, just because you, they got a new director mm-hmm. and, and everything kind of went a different do- direction after that. Yeah, yeah. The dominant theme that most of us identify with and is used in all of the Harry Potter films is Hedwig's theme. It doesn't always specifically represent Hedwig, rather the wider idea of magic and the wizarding world. That's the one. We yeah. say Harry Potter, you hear it in your head, yes. that's the one. I believe there's more Chalice in this one, or is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there is. Yeah, well, because, and also you got bells too, but just yeah. like that, you can you can... You know, you hear, I don't know, I can hear it in my head and I can see the opening visuals of the movie, you know, and when they're on the private drive and, you know, McGonagall, yeah, they're dropping yeah. Harry off. And, yeah. you know, it, it's just, I don't know, it, it is, the, the music sounds like mm-hmm. magic to me. Yeah. And, and I mean, say what you will about the Harry Potter movies. If you're a big book reader and you, you don't like the movies as much, that's fine. But the music here would fit flawlessly in with the books if you could make it so like yeah. if you could somehow have it playing while reading i mean i guess you could just do that <laughs> and maybe it would work it, it would still work because it yeah it feels so magical it feels kind of out of this world but not really mm-hmm. because it's still in yes it's based in the real world kind of but but another another zone of just magic yeah. and wondrous and, and the opening of the first movie i love because of the music and also just the visuals of Dumbledore stealing the lights from the yes. poles and it's just like immediately you're immediately you're in like what is going on yeah land right now when he was presented with composing the first score he did it in Los Angeles and Tanglewood but then recorded the soundtrack in London in 2001 wow. London would be the place to do that I would say that so would <laughs> to do it for real you gotta yeah. do it in London yep, yep. yeah right at platform nine and three quarters like just just shut yes. down the train fit it in there yes yep. <laughs> yes i feel like his music really made it feel like a universe 
Yeah, it, really it felt did. like its own world with that music. Yep. Something oh, yeah. out of just totally out of this world. Mm-hmm. Totally that, yeah. That's that's why kind of now in the marketing you see it done as the wizarding world of mm-hmm. Harry Potter because mm-hmm. they're doing stuff beyond it, right? Mm-hmm. But it still fits perfectly. They'll yes. they'll continue to use his music and his themes for all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the 1990s, Williams intended to retire, but continued to create groundbreaking music. We just talked about all those, all those movies except for yeah. Harry Potter were all like in the 90s. Well, yeah. I'm sorry. A lot of those movies yeah. were in the 90s that we just talked about. By the time the third Harry Potter film came out, he decided it was time to take a break from film composing. Steven Spielberg pulled him back for films such as War Horse, The Adventures of Tintin, and Lincoln. He is 88 years old, and he is still, I think, working on an upcoming Spielberg film. Goodness wow. gracious, man. Yes. I, I, I imagine he and Steve are just the best of pals at this mm-hmm. point. Because mm-hmm. if he can just say, hey, I know you're retired, <laughs> but, like, do you want to do my movie? I read something yeah. crazy. Like, he's composed all but three or four of Spielberg's movies. Jeez, oh man. (laughs) I read a quote where he talked about how Spielberg likes to sit and listen to him Mm -hmm. composing and how he kind of gives input and stuff. That's so sweet. And it's, but like, it's, yeah, obviously a friend friendship Mm -hmm. where he can, yeah, do that and be positive. I mean, yeah, he's, what he's doing is he's taking, he's kind of taking what the director wants and he's interpreting it into music and then he's thinking okay but also the audience needs to hear this music and mm-hmm. get this emotion from it so mm-hmm. he's he's doing so much yeah. in his brain to to be a fly on the wall in that room <laughs> to just to watch that go down <laughs> that would be so cool just yeah. to ha- just to watch Steven Spielberg and John Williams do something for a movie I'm like uh, are you kidding me man so- yeah all right, so he's done some other little things here, too, now. So the Boston Pops Orchestra. I, you know, I, I don't know if anybody knows about this, uh, this little <laughs> lovely orchestra. Not really little, because it's an orchestra. But um, so first of all, there's a Boston Symphony Orchestra it, based in Massachusetts. And this orchestra performs long classical symphonies in a very formal setting. And so then the Boston Pops contain some of these same musicians, but they perform typically light, classical, and popular music. They're often outside so that the whole family can have a picnic and enjoy great music Mm -hmm. together. That's awesome. It really encourages everyone to take an interest in classical music. Yeah. This was significant because John was actually the second conductor from 1980 to 1993. Nice. That's rad. Yeah. At the same time, writing all these other movie scores. (laughs) Like, dude's dude's on fire. Yeah, he's doing amazing. Because it's incredibly, it's like a huge deal. The Boston Pops. And to keep all of that in your head. Mm -hmm. It's like, obviously you write some stuff down and you have the book in front of you. But you got to hear it. You got to like be with it when yes. you're conducting and then yes. oh, yeah, it's unreal, man. So in 1984, the Los Angeles Olympic Games had the official theme Olympic fanfare and theme. And guess who it was composed by? 
Uh, John Williams, of B- course. By George. <laughs> the one and only. He also, for the Olympics, composed Olympic Spirit, Summon the Heroes, and then on his birthday in the winter of 2002, <laughs> he conducted his piece, Call of the Champions. Yeah. So. Wow. I, I wonder how easy it is for him now. Yeah, like, I wonder. Obviously, comp- I'm not trying to say that composing music is easy because you have to be – he's incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. But, like, for him specifically, is it, like, kind of easy now? I think he's always pushing himself. Yeah. I feel like he never allows it to be easy. I think that he sits down, he goes, okay, well, I could do it this way, but that doesn't. what about right. – yeah. you know you know what I mean? I feel like he's, he's pushing mm. it. He's – you know, just because he writes this music that when you hear it, it feels like it already existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? He, he's pulling it from the ether. Yeah. Like he's, just, <laughs> he's just manifesting it out of the air. And it's just, yeah. there it is because it already, <laughs> yeah, it's just magic. And then one other little tidbit, which I learned very recently because Robin told me, he actually <laughs> did the mission theme for NBC. Yes. Breaking news. Yes. It's just so amazing that he's had his hands on, like, everything. Yes. Even if you don't watch movies. You've watched, you've seen the news. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, he's, he's yeah. there. He's, he's like, all even over if the you place. click away from the news right after that song or sound, right. You know, like, yeah. He has changed channels and, oop, there's Jurassic Park. Yes. Oh, whoop, there's ET. Oh. Yeah, it just, it's any number of things, man. Never ending. So, of course, since he's done all these magnificent pieces of music, he's, of course, won some awards. Yeah, so we're gonna yeah just a couple here i mean a big long list he was definitely nominated for many many awards goodness gracious he has so many nominations yeah, yeah. so he holds about 21 honorary degrees from accredited universities such as harvard berkeley and juilliard man yes I, that would be nice to have an honorary degree you know that you're big shit if a university just gives you a degree. Yeah. <laughs> Without, like, like, you don't have to pay. You don't have you to don't go. You don't have to go to class. <laughs> you don't have to take the tests or have the credit hours. Nope. You are a big deal. Yes. It's like, you know how basketball <laughs> players and stuff, they get shoes from from different places, you know, shoe oh, companies like, like yeah. Nike right, and right, right. all that. Adidas. It's like, here, we're ours. It's kind of like, here, have our degree. You yes. know, maybe, now, maybe now those even... young kids will want to go to our place. Because... Yeah, we'll say, we, yeah, John Williams has an, a, has an honorary degree, degree from, from our there. school. Yep. <laughs> he also has received the AFI Lifetime Achievement Award, American Academy of Arts and Sciences Fellow, Kennedy Center Honor, National Medal. National Medal of Arts, which was presented to him by President Barack Obama. And finally, the Olympic Order. Dude. This I, is... And I feel like he's chill. Like, he's yeah. so chill. Like, I feel like he's just like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, whatever. He's probably just so <laughs> humble. Just go hang out with him. <laughs> yeah. It's like, whatever. I'm just, I just like music and stuff. <laughs> That's that's crazy because you know we we know that he got plenty of awards for writing music in movies and music for you know things like that. Right. But all of these n- 
all of these just general <laughs> art awards are yeah. like really prestigious. Like <laughs> yeah. you're you're so good at your one form of art that the entire art world can appreciate that. And that is cool, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. That means you are the best of the best. Yeah. Oh yeah. Within the Kennedy Center article, it said he learned from the best, and his music has been at least as bright. The sounds of George Gershwin, of Aaron Copeland, of Leonard Bernstein all celebrate and define the American experience in music. John Williams joyfully is carrying that celebration into the 21st century. Oh, yeah. Yes. He'll, yeah, he'll always be part of American culture and mm-hmm. part of American music. Mm-hmm. And I know this is true, but I hope it continues that he he was such an influence that he inspires more yeah. of mm-hmm. that because I don't want it to fade away. No. Because, I mean, he's 88. <laughs> yeah. You know, God forbid he stays alive. You know, hopefully right. he stays alive for a while mm-hmm. longer. But when, his, when he stops composing, let's just say that, if he ever stops composing, I hope his influence is strong enough to keep his, like, style in the the style of all these old greats alive yeah. in in future mm-hmm. composers like right right cuz i mean yeah people people in music class right now are learning about george gershwin yeah mm-hmm. yeah you know they're i mean they're learning about aaron copeland we're they're we're they're oh, still yeah. learning about those people because they're they're still a big part of american culture and you know in 50 years kids will will start learning about John Williams. Yeah. I feel like it's going to be part of their curriculum. One of the ancient yeah. greats. <laughs> <laughs> he won Academy Awards for, and we kind of talked about these, but Fiddler on the Roof, Jaws, Star Wars, E.T., and Schindler's List. He now has more nominations than any other living person. Yeah. <sighs> wow. He should have won them all. <laughs> <laughs> he also won a Primetime Emmy Awards for Heidi, Jane Eyre, and Great for per- and Great Performances. Golden Globe Awards for Jaws, Star Wars, E.T., and Memoirs of a Geisha. And he has won 20 Grammy Awards and has been nominated for countless others as well. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy. He's everyone can appreciate how good he is, so they nominate him for everything. It's like, well, yeah, of course John Williams is in the picture. Yeah. I mean, there's... sometimes yeah, sometimes to me it just feels like it, it's if he if he scored a movie mm-hmm. that year, he needs to get nominated but yeah. for an Oscar. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like it's yeah. just expected. Yeah. You just have to. The the academy is around their table and they just say Okay, the next one is is best score. John Williams nominated. Okay, next yep. is yeah. so, like they don't even like, don't even. they don't need to wait for the votes. Yeah. They'll just no. yeah, it's just there. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, so we thought for June Tunes and for our our first for our first biography episode, mm-hmm. we thought we would honor Mr. Williams. And uh, you know, we're just really excited to talk about him and Yeah, man. He he scored some of our favorite movies, mm-hmm. and uh, not even just that. The music alone, without the movie, is just mm-hmm. that good. Yeah. We, I mean, we listen to it before we record. I'll probably listen to it on my way home. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. oh. yeah. just, just beautiful. It's so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. 
And it kind of, if you think about it, might give you a little bit of an appreciation for just classical music. Mm-hmm. You know, you listen to this music and you can imagine the stories behind it because you've seen the movies, but, you know, classical music generally has a story behind it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you learn those stories and you listen to it and maybe it won't be as boring as you think it is. It's, it really isn't. That's why, that's why Fantasia works mm-hmm. as that. But just listen to it and don't have anything to look at. But you can watch, you can watch the story in your head. It's yeah. it'll just yeah. happen. Yeah, and go to a pops concert. Yeah, if you can. <laughs> yeah. If you don't like Absolutely. classical music, go to a pops concert because then you can eat while you're yeah. there. And that's it. And <laughs> yeah, and sometimes they play popular stuff. Yeah, but it'll be an orchestra. Yes. So it'll be like grand and epic. Yes. So, so. if you ever wanted to hear, Hey Jude. You know, by an orchestra. Sounds great. That sounds mm. that sounds fantastic. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so thank you guys for listening. Thanks for being a part of our first biography episode. Hooray. That's exciting. Pat yourselves we on were, the back. We happy were excited. June. Yes, Yay. happy June. Happy June. And you, uh, and I think this is another case <laughs> closed. <laughs> Did okay. I do that wrong? Do I Let's do, that do it wrong? again. Here's okay. what happens. <laughs> sometimes we clap before closed, and sometimes yeah. we clap right after closed. <laughs> well, we're going to clap right after. So. Okay. Okay. So this is another case closed. But, yes. So thank you. And you can find us on our website, uh, blackcasediaries.com. We have Instagram, at blackcasediariespodcast. We have a Twitter, at Diary. And you can also find our Patreon. You can find that through our website. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really got a nice banner there. Yeah, it's bright, pre- bright orange yes. on the top. You can see it real yes. easy. Well, you can also find our blog on our website. You, t- you should take a look at that. It's pretty cool. We got some extra little info on there. Yeah, yeah our blog's awesome. You should take a look the, at it. The yeah. blog is great because they can't stop us from putting all the music that we talked about in it. That's yes. True. They can't stop so us. So you can listen, and we're going to make a playlist specifically for this episode. So yeah. if you want to find that on YouTube, we'll link to it, and then that way you can you know have a jam session. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And thank you, patrons. Yes. yes. John, thank Joel, so Jacob, Shelly, and Anthony. That's yes, right. Thank you. You guys are the best. You yes. rock. And then, goodbye. That'll do it. That'll See you right. next week. That's right. See you next time. Bye. Dr. Grant. My dear Dr. Sattler. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Thank you.